You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Well, hello, everybody. It is Jess here, and I am coming at you the day after Mother's Day. And before we get going, I just wanted to wish a very, very wonderful, happy belated Mother's Day to any of the moms that listen to this podcast. I had a great Mother's Day. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm just kidding. But really, it was, let's see, my second Mother's Day, third Mother's Day sober. Doesn't matter. I've done a few. But this one, I decided... I just wanted a family picture and I just wanted to hang out with my family and it was wonderful. I mean, all of my boys actually put jeans on, which was a huge, huge deal in my house. (laughs) So there you go. I hope your day was as wonderful as mine was. And if it wasn't, just know that I'm sending you all the love in the world. All right, so let's get to the episode. Today, my guest is the wonderful, the fashionable, the beautiful Kate. Kate has been an RN in the Pacific Northwest for over 20 years. After getting sober, she shifted her nursing career towards mental health and dug in hard into the recovery space. She is an incredible human being, and what I love about Kate is she, like me, just discovered this beautiful world of creativity in sobriety. And I'm going to let her talk about it. But what I love about her story is it's all about style and walking her talk. It is beautiful. And I think I've said beautiful 4,000 times. But I am just really excited for you guys to hear our chat. So thank you for pushing play. Here's Kate. Well, hello, everybody. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry, and today I have a fabulous guest. Kate is here with us. Hi, Kate. Hi, Jess. How are you, girl? Oh, I'm I'm so glad. (laughs) We're already talking over each other. This is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just going to be totally transparent with our listeners. We um, just recorded our whole intro, and my computer totally failed, so we are off to a good start, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, technology. Well, my friend, I'm so honored to have you here today. And I would love for you to start by just telling listeners who you are, if you have kids, where you live, and what you do for a living. Sure. So my name is Kate Vitella, and I live in Olympia, Washington. So we're not very far away from each other if, if you're over in Oregon. We're packed Northwesterners. Um, yeah, so I am married. I am a stepmom to three boys, and they don't they don't live with us. They just mostly come for the summers. One of our boys is actually an adult, so he has his own home. But um, aside from being a step parent and a wife, I am a registered nurse, and I've been an, an RN since two thousand one. So. 
I think I was 21 or 22 when I became an RN. So it's been my whole, yeah, my whole adult life. That is amazing. Oh, yeah. So let's get right into it. I would love to hear your history with alcohol. You know, the podcast is called Decidedly Dry. That's going to be our theme, but uh, I want to hear your history. So when did you start and when did your relationship with alcohol shift? Yeah, so that's a good segue. Um, So I didn't start drinking in high school or college because I was really focused on becoming a nurse and developing my professional career and, um, you know, becoming an independent woman that could pay my own bills. And so um, I started working as an RN really young, maybe 22. And my drinking started about in my mid twenties. And I was working at the hospital here locally. I kind of dove right into a really tough job. Um, I wanted to start out with the hardest specialty I could could go into first. And I kind of got myself in over my head with all the responsibilities of lifing and adulting and so probably about 25-ish, I started drinking um, wine. I didn't know much about alcohol, and I tried to socially drink. And luckily at the time, I was working night shift. I was working three 12-hour shifts. So there were three nights a week I wasn't drinking alcohol because I was at work, but the other nights I would drink. And over time, that shifted into... Um, sort of daily drinking. And by my early to mid thirties, I was binge drinking and it just turned out to be so detrimental because I was into the blackouts and the um, severe hangovers. And of course, with that comes a lot of consequences. So I would say by, by my mid thirties, I was a hot mess for sure. Wow. And so, I mean, was it just kind of the norm where you worked too? I mean, did you see it in the workplace? That was what people did when they weren't on shift? Yeah. I I mean, we worked a really high stress profession and that's not an excuse, but it sort of was an acceptable excuse at the time. And I also, in my early thirties, transitioned from bedside nursing into pharmaceutical sales which, you know, there's a lot of travel and a lot of social events and Mm. heavy drinking. So um, that kind of played a role as well. But I knew my drinking was a little different in not so much in what I displayed in other in front of other people, but in how much I liked it, Mm. like how much I thought about when I would get to be intoxicated again, and how much I hoped I could live in that space of being completely checked out. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to come out of that zone. You know, basically I didn't ever want to be sober. Wow. And I like that you pointed that out. Like we kind of know it in our gut, right? Like we're always thinking about it. Like, gosh, do people think about it as much as I do? Like, do people drink like I do? It's consuming, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely was thinking about when I got to be, you know, under the influence next. And then a lot of times 
those would turn into sort of hair of the dog in the morning and I would kind of keep it going. And I liked being checked out of my reality, Um, which is really sad when I look back because my reality wasn't that bad. It's just that um, as an alternative to facing any little problem, I would have rather just been numb. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Oh my gosh. I'm sure a lot of people, including myself, relate to that. Well, you said (laughs) your words, hot mess, right? It was a hot mess towards the end. So what did you do? How did you get help? How'd you remove it? Well, you know, my story took a lot of really dark turns and I won't spend too much time in that space because I don't live there anymore. But um, in my mid thirties, I see, I think it was 2014. I got a DUI. Um, Luckily, I didn't wreck my car or anything, but I was pulled over for speeding under the influence. And at that time, uh, my career had started to suffer. Um, Every part of my life was suffering. My relationships, my um, between like romantic relationships, you know, I was, I was single at that time, but dating. I hadn't Um, married my husband yet and uh, my friendships and my family my finances it was like every part of my life was falling apart but I didn't get sober after the DUI I I kind of tried to press on and continue drinking which is pretty tough to do after a DUI but I managed to do it Mm -hmm. Um, and around around 2018 when I finally got sober I started, uh, I was in trouble with my career. I was just, it was at the end, right? Like I was running out of options and I started reading some books and I remember reading um, The Recovering by Leslie Jameson. And um, the subtitle is Intoxication and Its Aftermath. And Leslie Jameson was this Ivy League educated writer. And I really admire writers. And she writes about, being a writer and getting sober as a writer. I mean, it was just this amazing twist. And she also incorporated a lot of history and a lot of stories of other writers and their struggles with creativity. And um, so that book started opening my eyes to what it could be if I was brave enough to walk into the rooms of a 12-step meeting. And when I closed the book, I, I got online in my area and found um, an AA meeting. And I, I walked in and, and I, I said, this is it. I, I, I want to be one of you. Um, but I think it took a little bit of, um, I hate to say peer pressure, but it was almost like leading by example of another creative that I really admired in her story of, of the recovering process and so much of what she went through, I related to, and that was really helpful. So, you know, I, I would have to say it basically boils down to Quitlet and, um, and then finding a meeting uh, of, of humans that are, were suffering from what I was suffering from. Wow. That is so amazing. And I think it just, I mean, it goes to show that we have to be open, you know, we got to have our eyes open and be curious, but the universe plants these tools and plants these, um, these stories right in front of us, you know, like, I mean, yeah. the fact that you were able to pick up a book that really 
spoke specifically to you. I mean, yeah. that's kind of how it was. I, my first quit lit book was, um, was Annie Grace was this. Oh, a classic. Oh, a classic. So I was excited so to hear good. the title that you read. Cause I'd never heard of that one. I'll, uh, I'll put it in the show notes for people that are listening, but. Oh, it's so oh, amazing. Wow. And just to, to have that connection and then to, to hear someone's story that sounded so relatable and what you were going through. I mean, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. Um, you know what I, so I've been a nurse my entire adult life, but I had always really admired writers and I secretly always wanted to be a writer. And so I, I read it from her perspective of, um, diving into just other writers. And she talks about like John Berryman and um, Jean Rise and Raymond Carver and just so many other brilliant figures that struggled and struggled with balancing their creativity with this disease. And it just, it was so well-written. And she also talks a lot about her struggles with um, disordered eating and basically uh, anorexia. And I related to that, all of it. Mm. And I thought to myself, if this Ivy League brilliant woman can lay down her pride and walk into an AA meeting, I can certainly do that, right? Totally. Like I can do that. Oh man. So did you write while you were drinking? No, I didn't. Um, I always journaled and I wrote a lot as a little kid. I used to write screenplays and hide them under my mattress so that I could, you know, finish them before anyone saw them because, you know, I just, I, I always loved writing when I was a kid, but oh, um, I love that <laughs> when, no, when I was drinking creativity went out the door. I mean, the, the most creative I was, was like what shade of lipstick to put on for my <laughs> night at the bar. I mean, it was, it got pretty shallow. Life oh was very gosh. shallow. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't believe it, but this is just like the perfect transition to my next little, uh, little question for you, but let's talk about, you are a fashionista. You are a writer now. So these are some of the beautiful things that came out of getting sober, correct? Yeah. It's funny because I feel like when, when I got sober, it was a recreation of myself, but it was also a returning to myself. Mm. Um, there's pieces of me that I've returned to that were like my authentic core, maybe somewhat of you know who I was as a child. So in somewhat of that is a returning and then also reinventing myself because you know, so much changes when we get sober as an adult. And what I started writing about was the outside changes in our wardrobe and style. And I write a, a column called Walk Your Talk, and it's for the online magazine, The Sober Curator. And The Sober Curator is a lifestyle magazine for all things sobriety or sober curious. Um, you know, anything from travel to Quitlet to interviews, podcast, um, style, restaurants, you name it, right? And um, what really 
got me started writing about fashion was that when I got sober, I was so different than who I was as a drinking, as a person who drank and partied and lived my lifestyle that way, that I remember looking at my closet and thinking, none of these clothes really reflect who I am now. And changing my wardrobe and style was sort of like peeling the layers of an onion, like they say in 12-step rooms, like you just change so much and so much is unearthed and so much evolves in your personal style um, outside and in as you go through this um, process of recovery that I thought it was really cool to write about fashion and recovery. And I, I'm a big fashionista. I love fashion. I love the history of fashion. And I am so impressed with the, um, you know, the original design houses and the, the, the people who sewed and put time and effort and heart and soul into the couture pieces, just all of it. I could talk about it forever. <laughs> oh, I love that, Kate. It's so beautiful. And I think, I mean, you nailed it. It's like you, I think in sobriety, we find different ways to not only express ourselves, but, but really show the world how wonderful sobriety is, you know, yeah. whether it be what we wear, how we show up, whether it be a painting, um, our writing. And for you, I mean, just knowing you, I think you show us that sobriety is not boring. It's not dull. It's not, your life is not over when you put the glass down. Yeah. I mean, it's completely the opposite. Am I right? <laughs> oh my goodness. I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, I, I just got back from Miami where I attended She Recovers. And then I was at a girlfriend's uh, Sober Sweet 16, 16 years. Wow. wow. And I was thinking to myself, I was afraid to give up drinking because I would have, I was afraid, quote, I wouldn't have a life. Right. And now my social calendar is so full <laughs> and I have so many friends and I'm thinking, this is what I always wanted. Right. I always wanted to be in the in crowd. I always wanted to have friends and to have things to do and places to go. And it's, it's crazy to me that getting sober was the doorway to a, a life that I, that I didn't know was waiting for me there. Um, it's exactly opposite of what I thought. And right. now I'm a very busy human being and I, and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Well, and that feeling, I mean, has sobriety given you just a whole different I don't know, feeling of, of confidence. I mean, being able to show up exactly who you are and not worry about what you're wearing, but to be proud about what you're wearing and, and how you show up in any room, really. For sure. You know, and I don't know a single person who has gotten sober um, and, and looks exactly the same as they did in their drinking days um, that maybe hasn't changed their style a little bit. It's in sobriety, whether it's clothing or hair or um, the way they carry themselves into a room. And what I really focus on is style more so than actual clothing, mm -hmm. because, you know, sort of style is innate. It's who we are. It's, it's how we carry ourselves, regardless of the price tag of the items we're wearing or the labels. And um, it's it just says so much about who we are. And so. For me, 
getting sober, I felt like I had so much more clarity about who I am and what I stand for. And I wanted to wear that on the outside and um, I, I guess paint a, a better picture of myself for what I feel and who I feel I really am. I love that. Oh, so true and so inspiring. Um, I agree. I mean, I feel like people, you know, whenever they do those side by sides of before and after, like, this is me before I stopped drinking and this is me now. Like, I mean, you could just see it, whether it be their smile, their eyes, like the confidence coming through yeah. the photo. I mean, what they're achieving. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. Your life does not end when you quit drinking. <laughs> oh my not, goodness. <laughs> not boring at all. I um, feel like it's just getting started when you quit drinking. I mean, I really do. I really do. Oh, uh, well, let's kind of backtrack. What were some of the things that you started feeling or noticing when you removed the alcohol, big or small? Well, I was a really heavy drinker and I drank daily in the end. So there was quite the detox period. And then there was a lot of um, mixed emotions that come along with what we call pause or post-acute withdrawal syndrome, where your body is just trying to regulate itself after um, using alcohol as a sleep aid, as a numbing aid, you know, as a social lubricant, as a way to relax. Um, it, you know, your body needs so much time to regulate that I feel like my emotions were all over the place in the beginning. Um, and maybe in the beginning, I'm meaning like the first year of sobriety, but even as rocky as it was, it was better than any day drunk. Um, and I, I started being able to sleep better and being able to really truly relax when the moment was right. And, um, you know, starting to have this clarity of mind that I didn't have before. Mm. And um, with that comes confidence. And it was, it was such an incredible journey in the beginning of figuring out who I was. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and you're four years sober, am I correct? Yes. Oh, wow. And I mean, do you notice kind of year by year, just things, um, how do I put this kind of a different theme for each year? Like for me, I am about two and a half years in and I feel like year one was just, it was exciting, but it was also survival. <laughs> it was yep, just absolutely. like day by day. <laughs> Hang <And> on. <laughs> hold on sister. Um, and I feel like year two was more healing and creating and kind of exploring what can I do now? Like what yeah. did you kind of find that with each year? Like, was it a little bit different each time? Absolutely. In fact, I, um, I remember someone telling me that at two years sober, you think, you know, everything, um, at three years, you know, just all these different things, you know, right. And <laughs> different milestones and, for sure. And, you know, in, in the rooms of 12 step, they call it peeling back layers of an onion. Like you're, there's just layers mm -hmm. and that it continues on as you progress through your, your sober journey. And so, yeah, every year has been a little different, um, Year two is when I started recovering out loud. I put my sobriety out there on social media mm. and I created an Instagram page and really dove into the online sober community. And that made a huge change um, 
because I was able to then find other groups and resources and meetings that were online that were that I would have never discovered had I not um, decided to recover out loud. And that's when I discovered uh, Laura McCowan's The Luckiest Club, mm-hmm. which is online meetups. And then from there, I discovered uh, Emily Lynn Paulson's Sober Mom Squad, again, online meetups that were what I kind of called non-denominational in that they were more open forum and uh, not guided by a certain curriculum or text as in 12-step recovery. And there were no labels, no dogma, and it was an easier approach. And so, yeah, I mean, my sobriety has definitely evolved mm-hmm. as time has gone on. And mm-hmm. about year, so that was my, in about two years in, I joined those online groups. But about three years in, I was helping to lead sober mom squad meetings. And, um, and then I started writing and, and contributing to the sober curator. So it's just been, yeah, it's definitely evolved. So awesome. So awesome. So, I mean, and do you find that all of these, these groups, these things that you're doing, do they, I mean, they help you stay sober, right? I mean, they're just more tools for your toolbox. Absolutely. And it, it makes my life more well-rounded. Um, I, for work currently, I work in behavioral health. So I work in an inpatient psychiatric facility and I would say about 90%, maybe 95% of our clients have co-occurring substance use disorder as well as severe and persistent mental illness. So I work in the addiction space and in the mental health space. So for a living I talk about um, antipsychotic medications and mood stabilizers and, um, you know, harm reduction and all the things. And so when I set that down and go home, I like to lean into the other portion of my life, which is the creative portion, Mm -hmm. which is the part of me that likes to write and to speak and to even change my clothes and make a fashion reel and put it on Instagram. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's so important. I feel like having that balance of service and creativity and doing what you love. I mean, it's, it's hard to find the balance, but having those different pieces really makes a well-rounded life in my opinion. Yeah. And it, it really helps me to feel like I can be all the versions of myself, you know, and it's taught me that I can be this and, right? I can be a professional, a nurse, a science major, very analytical, and I can go home and read every page of Vogue magazine and try on every belt and pair of shoes I own and dance around in my clothes and make a video or write about it. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I can be all these things. Okay. I have to point out, because I have read your column and I adore it, um, and I know just by following you and knowing you that you actually walked the runway for New yeah. York Fashion Week. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah. So again, that is attributed to my sobriety um, in and networking through the sober circles on social media. I happened to meet um, Alexandra Nyman, who is 
one of the editor-in-chiefs of Soberosity, which is another online sober community, and she is a designer. She's a cut and sew designer who um, lives in New York, and she was putting on a show called Break Free, which was um, dedicated to mental health and addiction recovery. A lot of the proceeds went to 10,000 Beds, which is an organization that helps place people in treatment facilities, um, you know, when they're looking for uh, the right environment to go inpatient. And we started talking fashion and mental health. And these are things I know a lot about. So, um, <laughs> It actually started out that I was going to go to New York and write about the show and she was going to let me backstage and, uh, you know, as a writer and with a press pass and get in there and interview people. And as time went on, she, I, I think, had a couple models fall through. I, I really honestly can't remember. It was such a whirlwind. And then <laughs> next thing you know, I'm walking in the show and um, I, I was really grateful. It was such a fun experience. And, and fun is probably not the right word because it's also a lot of work. Uh, right. Those are long days for the model who has a call time, you know, around eight hours before, oh maybe six gosh. to eight hours before they actually walk the runway. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But I really got to learn all the elements of the backstage process and the designer's process and putting together a collection and then displaying it in order on the runway in order to tell a story. So it was bucket list. I'm not going to lie. Right. I, mean, I mean, what like, an amazing experience. For oh. sure. It was total bucket list. I mean, to be able to walk in a fashion show in New York during New York fashion week. Um, oh. Yeah. Insane. And I mean, could you back in your drinking days, do you ever think that would be on your radar? Like, as oh my something goodness. You could do? I mean, it was like pipe dream, right? But it's, it's so interesting to me that I got there through sobriety. Like that is the God shot that, that is my recovery in my life. Like it's just, it's so incredible. And I remember when I was getting ready to take the runway, um, the song that Alexandra had chosen for her, the introduction to her collection was a, a song by Stephen Rabel. And she, and he talks about, um, in, it, it's called in the village and he's talking about there's something wrong in the village. And the whole moment felt like I was turning and looking at my addicted self and saying, you know, F you, like, I got this, I'm, I'm going to beat this and I'm overcoming. And here I am now. And um, yeah, it was look definitely at, full circle. Now. Oh man, how powerful. Oh, I love it, Kate. Well, and you have, um, do you have a couple pieces on your column about that experience or just the one? I wrote about it. Um, and then I interviewed a model that I had met actually prior to the show. Um, actually, I interviewed her prior to the show, Gabby Faye. She had lost her partner to an overdose and she was a big mental health addiction advocate. And then I met her in real life and I, I did a follow-up piece on that, but yeah, I wrote several articles kind of surrounding the show. There was an article about Alexandra and I's relationship and discussing mental health and sobriety and, and fashion and mm -hmm. sort of how it ties all in. So yeah, that was, there was a 
good chunk of my life where I was writing about that and then take taking part in it and yeah um it was just yeah it was a really cool piece of my recovery journey oh I love it oh how awesome I mean a perfect example of just the good things that happen oh well tell me right now like what is the most important thing in your life right now Oh my goodness. I, you don't have to say family. How much time do you have? Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, I have to say my husband because he's in the next room. No, I'm kidding. Um, gosh, it's so many things. I, I think it boils down to what I call the three C's and that would be creativity, clarity, and connection. Um, and I don't have any of those things if I, if I don't say sober. And of course, there's so many faucets of each of those buckets, right? Um, and I, I have to lean in to a higher power and stay spiritual through this journey and stay connected because I can't do this alone. There's just no way. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what sobriety has taught me for sure is just that connection, that community piece. I mean, yeah. It's so vital to me continuing down this road. I mean, that we're not alone and that there are people that have stories just like ours. <laughs> so yeah. I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up. Well, looking forward, what what is ahead? I mean, I know you're going to continue. I'm hoping you're going to continue writing, but is there anything in the, on that bucket list or, you know, on the horizon that you're working on? Yeah, I definitely will continue writing. Um, I, I have, I've thought about writing a book. I know that's sort of a, a mammoth task, but it's, it's on my bucket list. And I mean, maybe it'll be my life's work. I'm not sure, but I also would really like to, do some some more public speaking about sobriety and recovery and creativity and all of it. Um, I am a storyteller. I love to tell stories. And maybe that's why I like to write. But I really like to stand up in front of a crowd and shout it out. So I would love to be able to do some public speaking. Um, I love that. How exciting. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, of course, I don't know how I'm going to get there, right? I don't have those answers yet. No, uh, and we don't have uh, them, you know, but uh, nope, I think I don't have them. We're open. We're open to figuring out how to get there, you know? Yep. Oh, yep. How fun. Well, my friend, to the one or many people that are listening to this right now and feeling inspired to make a change, what advice would you give them? Oh, my goodness. There is such a big freaking life on the other side. It's so much bigger than you can imagine. Um, I I would say, keep trying, keep going and do anything and everything possible. Like Holly Whitaker says, throw the kitchen sink at it. Um, Come at recovery from any angle that is helpful to you, that resonates with you. Lean into a higher power and um, find some other sober people in your oikos, as my pastor in church says, in your bubble, in your social circle, anywhere, even online, surround yourself with people and, and they will walk you home. You know, I mean, we just can't do this alone. 
Beautiful, beautiful advice, Kate. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you more than you know. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, I'm going to, of course, have links in the show notes, but what's their best way to reach out? Sure. I'm on Instagram. Um, nothing special, just at Kate Vitella. <laughs> I don't have a cool name. <laughs> I don't have a cool <laughs> sign on or a uh, handle or I don't do the TikTok. I haven't figured out oh. a lot of those things. So probably just Instagram. Oh, you and probably. me. Uh, I don't understand the TikTok. I don't even know the tweet. Like I don't, I don't have the tweet. Either. I don't tweet and I don't TikTok. So. I don't yeah, I, I can't do it. I don't oh, know. I'm too old. I don't, I just, there's no more room for anything else for me I don't have time I <laughs> you know right I, I can't save the world as a nurse and be a celebrity I mean come on folks uh, it's too much I mean <laughs> I am proud that I know how to put a text on a reel let's be honest <laughs> like, come on I know. I know. Uh, well Kate thank you again I appreciate you and um, I just I loved our chat so thank you thanks so much for having me this was great if you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.